Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is absolutely gearing up for Christmas. I am Scott Santa Phillips. Here's Andrew St. Nicholas Page. How are you, mate? Ho, ho, ho. Very good, sir. <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> Let's move on. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're well. I am both looking forward to Christmas and, frankly, I need Christmas. Um, you and I, again, I, I, I always feel guilty when I mention what we talked about before the podcast. And one day we'll just hit record before we prepare. Uh, you and I, let, let's just say let's say the experience was cathartic and we're probably now more relaxed than we were 15, 20 minutes ago. Is that fair to say? Oh, that's, that is 100% very <laughs> fair to say. <laughs> there was some ranting. Uh, most of it related to things, not all related to things. Um, I have had a wonderful experience with a service provider and a terrible experience with a service provider in the last 24 hours. That was part of it. Mm. Uh, some headlines that, that got you a little bit offside, uh, <laughs> possibly relating to a thing called property. I know listeners would be surprised by that. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a, healthy, a healthy and cathartic ranting. My biggest concern, mate, is we've got to pre-record a few weeks worth of episodes. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm wondering what the outlet's going to be. We're either going to come back very, very frustrated or our families are going to actually want us to do a podcast just in the middle of January just to get the... Uh, just to get- <laughs> get the bad vibes out i'm not sure do you know i had a little bit of an epiphany after one of the pre-records was that i was talking about the sort of the the um archetypal uncle jim you know at the at the christmas table <laughs> who, who who's, who's prone for a bit of a rant and a bit, a bit of a bit of a nutty perspective on life and then it occurred to me it was like am i uncle un- jim we are uncle jim <laughs> <laughs> i'm the oh that's me like you know the worst thing, and this is why that this is why Uncle Jim exists. Because we go, Am I Uncle Jim? I don't care. Nah. I'm gonna do it anyway. It's like that's the point. That's exactly the point. Uncle Jim never cared. He knew he was Uncle Jim and just lent into it. And unfortunately that's uh that's in your future, it's in my future, mate, sadly enough. It's like that Simpsons meme with Principal Skinner. It was like could it be that that I am wrong? No, no, no. It's the children that are wrong. You know, it, it's it has been done a hundred different ways, but it, it's a, it's a great meme template, and I, oh, I'm, I'm going to own that. <laughs> and here we are, and here we are, mate. This is our last. Uh, well, I mean, as uh, as you'll hear in a upcoming mailbag episode, all of our podcasts are pre-recorded, but this is the last one we're doing in in relatively real time before we do take a bit of a break over over Christmas. Uh, I'll be away for a week. You're going to take it easy for a little bit. Uh, our producer goes on holiday. I want to give a big shout out to Link. Kelly, who is our tireless producer, our audio engineer extraordinaire, does a wonderful, wonderful job making sure that we sound, uh, well, frankly, you know, however, however good we sound, it's thanks to Link, however bad we sound, Link hasn't got much to work with, but he, every single week, um, does a wonderful job of, of putting this together and making sure we're on the straight and narrow. Every now and again, Link says, uh, hey, Scott, you haven't sent the videos through, the audio through yet, or you haven't sent the, you know, the, the, the words through. Oh, okay, I'll do that. Sorry, Link. Uh, so he has, uh, he has kept on the straight and narrow this year and just want to Pay him a bit of a bit of a tribute and thank him and the team at Listener for uh, for looking after us this year. It's been an absolute ball. Uh, we'll do a bit of a, yeah. a, a end of year uh, comment in an upcoming episode, but just thought I'd, I'd call that link uh, as we as we get started. Yeah, it does Mate, a great job of the audio quality and stuff. If only he could work some magic on the actual things that were said <laughs> like that, that would be oh, great. You know, there's something, AI, AI something to coming, work mate. on. Link, <laughs> AI is coming, and then you and I will have uh, nothing to do at all. Mate, yep. can I can I start? Can I start with um, this? Isn't a mailbag episode? But can I start with a, a, a missive from Matt that we received during the week? Oh, please do. Yes. Hi, Scott and Ram, said Matt. Just a message on behalf of all the listeners. Uh, you know what I love? I love that all listeners got together to, to craft this message and, and Matt sent it. Uh, just a message on behalf of all the listeners to say a big thank you for your weekly discussions, rants, wisdom, and insight. 
probably in that order, I think, actually, Matt, if you think about it. He says, I hope the couple of recent questions from the school class and new investors has reminded you of the powerful impact that simple, proven, and practical financial strategies can have in real people's lives. That's very kind, man. Look, that's kind of why we do it. And, you know, we don't take it for granted. So thank you. He says, I'm wishing you and your families both a joyous, relaxing Christmas. He then says, as a listener gift, I have attempted to rewrite the lyrics to the 12 days of Christmas with a foolish twist. Now, I, listeners will be happy to know I'm not going to try and sing this. I will, I will, I will deliver it. As a, what do they call it? Is it a lyric poem? Is that what the cool kids call these things? A spoken word, spoken, spoken word performance. Spoken word performance. So, yeah. On the 12th day of Christmas, Scott and Ram sent to me 12 special Sundays, 11 circles squaring, 10 Kogans drinking, nine Motley's fooling, eight Hiluxes driving, seven markets crashing, six Optimus ranting. Say it with this, me, Ram. This is my favourite. Five, Five diabolical housing. Skiing. Oh, you're going down the whole lot. <laughs> Four it depenses, three Satoshi tokens, yes. two Berkshire gurus, and a private online investment club. <laughs> Brilliant, I love Matt. That. I Brilliant. love that, Matt. Well, he says, keep up the great work in 2024 and full on from Matt. Uh, I will go back to the five. It was five, and in brackets, diabolical housing, close brackets, Ponzi schemes. Uh, so that was just, just yeah, fantastic. We should have rehearsed that, shouldn't we? We yeah. should <laughs> Which is unusual because every, everything else in this podcast is rehearsed to a, to a T. So. <laughs> so you know it. Very, very well done, Matt. Thank you. Lots and lots of fun. Uh, which one was your favorite, mate? Oh, five Ponzi schemes. Like, <laughs> easy. Don't have to think about that. Although special, special, special mention to three Satoshi tokens and, and a private <laughs> online investment club. That, that made me yes. smile. I did like nine Motley's fooling. Uh, ten Kogan's drinking was pretty funny too. Oh, yes. Um, he's obviously a long-term listener. Thank you, mate. I love the interpens and the, and the squaring the circles too. That was, that was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, there is something, mate, as I, as I think about five being diabolical housing Ponzi schemes and then think about the, the traditional five golden rings and I'm in my head uh, I just made that instant connection I'm thinking Lord of the Rings and I'm thinking Gollum saying my, my precious yeah, that kind of <laughs> and it kind of applies to housing right so there's there's something to that I, I you may have you may have struck on a a very fine grain there uh, yep. Matt, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, uh, really well. cool. Thank you, buddy. Hey, um, let's let's move on to uh, to the the podcast itself, mate. Uh, unlike us, we've started with a tangent or two or three. Uh, the big news this week. Well, is it? I don't know. I. <laughs> so here's I'm gonna I'm gonna tangent myself even as I do the intro. Predictions about the about the future are particularly hard, as Yogi Berra said. Uh, it's there's a headline in the AFR this week. Uh, we're doing this on Thursday morning, as we usually do. And uh, the, the headline reads, uh, sorry, it was actually in the, in the uh, Oz, US recession tip as hard times hit soft landing talk. You think, oh, so there's obviously a, a recession coming in the US. I mean, that's, you know, someone is tipping the recession. You go, oh, is that the, uh, is the OECD? Is it the Fed? Uh, the first... The first uh, paragraph ends with, according to American Century Investments, co-CEO of Global Fixed Income, Charles Tan. End quote. Now, I'm sure Charles Tan's a lovely guy. I'm not going to say anything about Charles Tan because while he may not be listening, someone may be listening who knows Charles Tan, and I'm not going to besmirch his perfectly fine name uh, in my comments, other than to say when the entire article and headline is on the basis of one person saying we might have a recession, we probably should take a slight step backwards. But, yeah. but, but, yeah, man, 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 a, a filthy homeless man at Park on Soapbox <laughs> says the end is nigh. And I think, oh, 
quick stop the press uh, exactly exactly um and even then it says while many economists now expect a rare soft landing he isn't convinced in other words everyone else thinks this but he's a different bloke so he's the one that gets it right up rather than the headline being many economists expect us to avoid recession that would be the headline <laughs> except the charles tan who again i'm sure he's a lovely bloke and I, this is the other thing he might way. he might be right but right. i don't want to i want to say like you know he, correct, he's correct, definitely correct. wrong it's just yeah i but i get the point you're making is just sort of like one person says this and now it's sort of news <laughs> like, well, everyone's got it you know it's like you know everyone's what opinions are like Correct. A certain Back orifice. Yep. Everyone's yes, got one, you know. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, again, we'll talk about it a little bit, um, but I just want to put that in context because here's the other thing, mate. When someone makes a statement, there is something, you know, I was, I was going to say like a self-help guru. There's something powerful about voicing words, making making sentiments real, bringing them into the world or whatever they would say. I'm not a very good self-help guru, clearly. Um, it does, you know, for, for all of that, it actually does make you think, make people think that therefore it's now a thing. And the fact that it's now been stated out loud, we then have to have an opinion or, or respond to it or take it to heart or allow for it or something. There's something really interesting about that idea of like, someone says it might be a recession. Okay, well, what do you think, Scott? Well, as you say, mate, no one says to me, sorry, the bloke in the parks at the end is not. What do you think, Scott? Mm. It's, th- mm. There's just something about it being said out loud and, and written down and put in a headline that all of a sudden makes it somehow more real. Had that not been reported this morning, the... The circumstances would have been the same. Mm. The future is going to still be the same. Nothing's going to change as a result of this. And yet we're now talking about a thing that maybe didn't need to be talked about, except now we are, right? That's that's almost almost the point. Um, so, I, but I will. So I will kind of put that to one side, or half to one side, and just sort of say we are going to do in an upcoming episode in the new year. Uh, we'll do a little bit about kind of where we've been and where we're going. But on a, on a more short term basis, mate, I, I, how are you? feeling about the Australian economy and, and the global economy. I talk about the US particularly if you want to. Uh, but given those circumstances, are we? Are you worried about a recession? Uh, put, put investing aside just for a sec, just, just mm. purely economically. Uh, do you reckon there's a chance, a likelihood, a certainty? Where's your kind of, what do you, what's your antenna saying as we, as we round out the year? I've, got a, I've definitely got some thoughts. I'm happy to share. I've got to preface <laughs> it though. Firstly, I'm always reminded of the joke of, you know, economists have predicted, you know, 10 of the last <laughs> three recessions. You know, Such so a line, isn't it? They, they, they will get it, it yep. right eventually. And the other point I would make is that I I would say it's not even a prediction. It's a guarantee. There will be a recession. <laughs> yeah, I, no. just, I just don't know when. I don't know what will no, cause no. it. I don't know how deep it will be. And, and, you know, it's just... They are as, as sure as the, the sun will rise tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, we will go through a rough economic patch. These things yeah, tend to sort yeah. of move in, in cycles. Yeah. So all of that being said, I, I do find it difficult not to be bearish and have mm. been for a little while, you know. And, yeah. and I think once you, once you form a view, you naturally filter for things that reinforce that view. So mm. we all love the confirmation bias. So you think, oh, God, you read a few scary things. They seem well-articulated, well-reasoned. You go, oh, gosh, maybe that is going to happen. And then, and then you see other – then you start piecing together other bits and bobs that will reinforce that view. And I think almost subconsciously mm. or unconsciously dismissing those that, that might refute that view. So I've, I've, I'm very aware of it because I, I find that over time, I na- when I scroll down my screen at the daily papers, you know, I, I, I click on the bearish ones. I do. And then, and then the ones that are more positive, 
I can find myself going very Pollyanna-ish, you know, like, you know, it's it's almost, it feels naive. And we've made this point before. I think we all have a natural tendency towards the negative. It feels smarter. It feels more realistic and it feels, Mm. it just feels naive. I think anyone who sort of presents a positive, optimistic view, you know, you're you're living living under a rock. How can you not notice all of these kinds of things? So- that's all said. I do. I do. I, I do have some concerns. I, I feel, I don't know, I wouldn't contain it to a given calendar year, but the bigger, bigger um, dynamics at play are things like increasing wealth disparity is no mm-hmm. good for anyone. It feels good when you're in the, the part that's, that's growing faster <laughs> that's than right, the exactly. other one, but yeah, it's really yeah. not. Um, I think longer term, I think that's a concern. I think the deep structural deficits for all the major Western economies is just, it's going to come to a head at some point. That's, that doesn't end well. Right. And there's, and it's not that we're not going to naturally have deficits, arguably should probably have deficit spending when it is needed. But I feel as though we are, we are stuck in this rut of just doing whatever it takes to, to, to try and quote unquote, solve the current crisis in a cynical way, almost yeah. knowing that it's going to lead to a bigger problem down the track, but that's someone else's problem and we'll, <laughs> we'll right. deal with that then. That's right. Um, I think that's an issue. I think it, and it, there's increasing geopolitical tensions in a world where it's increasingly multipolar and the US has a far lower domestic appetite and fiscal ability to fund you know, forever wars around, around the globe. Um, that's interesting sort of dynamic at play. Lay it on top of that, you've got all the, the climate change stuff. It's Yes, there's the environmental consequences of that, but there's very real economic consequences to all of that as well. Um, gosh, what else can I point to? Um, uh, I, I think we're still seeing a bit of a washout from some of the exuberance and excess that we, we had in COVID with a lot of free money just and a lot of malinvestment that was made around that time. I, I think that's a negative. And, and, and of course, where, where else to end but other than uh, Aussie property, um, which as I've long said is the elephant in the room. It's, it's hard to have a macroeconomic discussion without talking about that because it's mm-hmm. sort of like it is central to virtually, whether you're a renter or a homeowner, it's just sort of it's mm-hmm. everything to how you view the world and how easy yeah. or hard you, you sort of have it at present. And I feel as though we are at the too big to fail um, stage with the Aussie property market. And it's a diabolically difficult situation where it's sort of like everyone quietly knows it's screwed, but careful what you wish for because anything that sort of improves affordability, which is the plot way of saying, you know, prices go down, has so many knock-on consequences um, for everyone, regardless of whether you've got 18 investment properties or not, right? Like it just, it'll impact the market. It'll impact, um, uh, impact your prospects for employment, uh, impact your prospects for pay rise, all of the, it just, it impacts everything, everything. So I don't, I really don't try to make it all about that, but it's hard when, when you have so much leverage in one particular sector, I don't know. It feels, it feels like I said to you before, it feels like we're the Easter Islanders. You know, it's just like we're all carving these giant heads and swapping them with each other. Future, uh, future anthropologists will be going, what were they thinking? And, uh, and it all sort of sets up for a pretty sort of negative 
um, setup. But can I can I have it? Can I talk out of the other side of my mouth for a moment? I think that's all, you know, concerning. But the other part of me is very hyper aware. In fact, that it is uncertainty and fear and and even objective objectively negative things that really create the opportunities that I think we all crave as investors. It's not that you would wish for bad things to happen to people. You don't. And if I had my way and I could wave a magic wand, I would try and mm. resolve a lot of those problems. <laughs> but what will happen is in those environments, you mm. find you find that, that everyone wants the, the great business at a really cheap price. And it's just like, well, you only really get those setups when when the when there is a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt that that is out there and so i i want to be i want to be um opportunistic with with opportunities that come let me clarify that does not mean i'm just going all to cash and waiting for that because that's, <laughs> that's right that's, that's dumb yeah. you know but but i am i am still in the workforce i am still working i am still saving and and i given the chance would i prefer to buy some of these really great um, economic machines at much cheaper prices. Yes, I would. And, <laughs> yes. and, and, and I might get the chance. So that's the silver lining, mm, I guess. Mm, mm. No, there's all you've been cheering for it, I think. Fair to say. Uh, yeah. it, is, uh, it is, it's worth, um, it's worth, I think, pulling out um, a bit of what comes next. And I, it's fascinating. We, you know, the, the stock market's up. I think we talked about this in, a, in an upcoming episode. The stock market's up meaningfully over the last six or seven weeks and mm. has done okay for this year, very well in the US for this year, despite what might happen economically. Which, so yeah. the first, my first point is the economy is in the stock market. The stock market is in the economy. Yep. And some people say, well, obviously. And I would just respond with, it's actually not obvious for most people. So if you're someone who genuinely realizes that and, and can separate those two in your head without too much hassle, then great. For the vast, vast, vast bulk of people, it's really hard. Even if we fall in the same trap sometimes of, you know, well, the economy is dropping, therefore, mm-hmm. um, just just be, be a little bit careful about about that, that correlation because there frankly isn't one. If there is any, it's, it's, it's time shifted. Um, you tend to find the market rises before the economy and falls before the economy, but mm-hmm. even that's imperfect as a, as a, as a kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, and this economic- is, sorry, sorry to interrupt. There's, and there's so much lost in the aggregate. That, that's the other thing yes. as well. But when the economy, quote yes. unquote, yes. the market, quote unquote, is just a, a, a very large constructs built yep. of, you know, an insane number of different entities. It's <laughs> yeah, sort of, exactly. you know, they're, not that yeah. they're useless, but they are, they, there is so much, um, uh, what subtlety, nuance, um, lost in that aggregate that you you can actually you can you can find examples to uh, reinforce any prejudicial view that you might have within within that larger mm-hmm. whole. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Um, economically, mate, I um, I'm a bit worried about the current quarter's GDP. Uh, it was only plus zero point two percent for September. Um, See this, this now I'm now I'm really bearish because well, no, you, you are Mister Optimistic, <laughs> and now and I was expecting you to go that way. So now that you've come out, I like oh, I, 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 I was a little bit cautious. <laughs> now I'm scared. Hold my Scott's Hold bearish. My <laughs> no, look. So well, I'm not this. Well, bearish. I don't know. I think that's the other thing, right? So I'm an optimist, but also. You know, an optimist that says, every time I look at this, there won't be a recession. It is not very useful to you, right? Because it's if you always see if you always see a crash, there's so many so-called perma bears out there who have been. You know, you mentioned the economists. There are perma bears who predict a market crash every single year. Yeah, the broken um, clocks. I, I, 
I really, really wish, mate, I had the time and inclination, and I don't have either, to keep all these stupid predictions that I made every single year. Every now and again, I pull one out and write an email about it. I'm almost, I, I'm 90, well, I think I'm, I'll say 95% certain. I was going to say 100, but that's, that's stupid. There was an article written last year that by October of, of 2023, there was going to be a massive market crash, mm-hmm. you know? And people talked about it at the time, wrote about it at the time, got headlines in the papers at the time, went and came and went, and not only that, since October, as we already said, the market's up massively, right? Just just stupidity making these sort of stupid things. But because they're perm bears, as, as you say, a broken clock will be right eventually, and then say, hey, see, I was right. And yeah. you go, well, thank, thanks, Scoop. And by the way, most, most journos, most reporters, most people won't question the how many times you were wrong before that. Just, you made a call, it happened to work, hey, look, I'm a genius. Um, so... That being said, I I don't th- I actually think I think it's a 50-50 on recession. Mm. I think there's a decent chance this quarter's negative. If there is, then there's a better than average chance next quarter's a recession, and then we end up oh, sorry negative, and we end up in a recession. At least by the accepted definition, which is stupid. Of that's what I was going to quarters. Yes. Yeah. So so you know, and we've already talked about the fact we're in a per capita recession. We're, we're already in a recession. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, you and, you and framed it really well. I'll give you a shout out for a tweet I liked of yours during the week, which was the. The pie got a little bit bigger, but we all got a smaller slice. That's right. And so we avoided recession. Congratulations, everybody. Yeah, but wait a sec. My <laughs> my pie slice is smaller. No, but the pie is bigger. Yeah, but I got a smaller slice. Like here's here's the other one. So this that was the traditional one. Someone bagged me for using the pie analogy. I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, but the other one, I said, the other one I used was um, the the boss comes and says, "Great news! Our salaries all our salaries have increased." The problem is there's more people, so you will get a little bit less each. <laughs> yes, like, it's like what? Hang on. <laughs> Just because the company's salary pool increases doesn't mean we're all getting more money. It means that, no. you know, the salary pool's increased. I think I, you can um, explain that to a six-year-old and they'd get I it. I know. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I so look, I think I think there's a decent chance that, as I said, this quarter's negative because we went from plus 0.2 last quarter. Retail sales most recently have been negative. It's not the only contributor to GDP, but it's a very big one. Business investment spending and then government spending, the other two bits. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know what's happened to government spending recently. Maybe I don't. I don't. I don't see anything particularly meaningfully increased there. Um, so I'm not sure whether we do or don't, you know, end up with a negative quarter. Well, they have pulled back hard. on the infrastructure spend. Well, no, they actually haven't. They've announced they're going to. <laughs> I've not oh, seen a single, have you seen a single, yes. proje- you seen a okay. single project that's actually been cancelled or delayed? I haven't. Oh, Maybe it has. Ex- that's an excellent Jim Chalmers point. came out yeah. and said, we've decided to pull back on infrastructure spending to help, you know, okay, thanks, Jim. Then crickets. Absolutely okay. crickets. Okay. Um, I I I like Jim Chalmers as a bloke. I think he's a really smart guy. I don't really know what I, I can I oh, can I give a massive plug, mate? Sorry. Um, go go for it. I have interviewed in the last week Chris Richardson, ex, <laughs> uh, Access Economics. I thought um, you were gonna say you interviewed the treasurer for a second. That'd like, be a great wow, one, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah, they were on quiet. Yeah. And I interviewed Jenny Duke or Jennifer Duke, who's a um a economics correspondent. Now these days work for Capital Brief, was it the Fairfax Papers? Um they are fascinating, fascinating, fascinating interviews. Um, effectively the same topic, but two very different conversations. So um, subscribe to The Good Oil for me if you're interested. Uh, you want some holiday listening. Again, sorry for the sorry for the random uh, plug, mate, but just because uh, just they're great interviews, right? I would sorry, not great interviews, great conversations. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a crap interviewer. Uh, they they are smart people, so listen for them, not for me. Um, if anything, I just ask questions because I went, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Um, nice. Point being that... Uh, I I don't know what happens, but I do worry that the if this quarter is negative, it's very hard for next quarter to be positive, just because of mm. the trend of these things. Um, so I think if this quarter is negative, the next one odds on. Now if this is this this quarter is not. 
even if next quarter is, the one after that may not be negative. So that's why I'm at about 50-50. It's a, I think it's probably an 80% chance. If this quarter is negative, 80% chance of recession by the time we get to the next quarter, right? If this one's not, those odds fall massively because nine months time, anything can change, including, frankly, we've probably peaked on interest rates and all that kind of stuff by then. So mm. uh, open question, mate. Here's the thing, though. You sort of say, you know, you know you're worried. Um, I guess I want to keep two thoughts in my head at the same time. Unemployment's already gone up. The RBA thinks it'll go to four and a half. And in fact, in the minutes this week said, and it might go higher. Mm. That is unquestionably crap for anyone involved, <laughs> yeah. right? Just awful. Uh, businesses will fail. Unquestionably awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so that, I don't mean but as in it doesn't matter. You know, people, when people say, oh, when you say but, it means you ignore everything you said before that. It's not mm. that at all. Mm. The, the other thought that goes alongside that is, and if the worst is less than 5% unemployment and a modest, very shallow recession, that is a spectacularly good result. And by the way, here's the key one. Here's the very, very key one. If Once you get out of the recession, by definition, that's the bottom, right? Not forever, not permanent. Mm. Then, then you start getting growth again. And mm. so think about that, right? Think about the, the multi-year growth that comes after that recession. Um, again, it's not in any way to justify or to explain or to try and ignore the pain that a recession would cause. It would be massive and it would be awful for people involved. Um, but coming out of the other side of that, that kind of you know there's something really nice about about being at the bottom right of having that happen because you can look, i mean look think about you know, it's been a long time but even the covid recession right mm. look what happened after that go back to the 90s recession look mm. what happened after that yeah. not perfect not great you know in a perfect world with the magic one you do different things but um so so honestly while i don't want there to be a recession for the human impact it would cause financially and even nationally at, a, at an aggregate level it's it you know <laughs> the, the best thing about that will be that the future then looks immensely brighter, almost yep. by definition. So yep. I'm still the optimist for that reason, Matt. I've got to say, I, mm. you know, if we go through recession or don't, in three and five years' time, I think the economy is going to be great. So you know, that, that's that's the positive element. That's the optimistic element that I'm I'm kind of focused on. Uh, this is going to sound really insensitive, but it's kind of a good thing. You need a bit of a purge every now and again. Mm. I mean, this is oh, this is a very deep conversation you could get into, but <laughs> yeah, but you you you. <laughs> We have these cycles partly because of just human nature, um, mm. but you know we we all feel optimistic, so we spend more. So businesses have more money, and then they tend mm. to reinvest, and then they tend to get success, which encourages others, and it's all really good. This is this is great, but then we get to a point where you start having real excesses. You start having the WeWorks of the world. You know, yeah, these, that's right. These businesses that just they're zombie businesses. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing viable about them now or likely ever mm. in the future. Just sort of mm. like how they're structured. And while it's sort of easy to sort of laugh at, the from a broader societal <laughs> perspective, it is such a massive misallocation of resources. There, there is only so much stuff, right? And and when it gets sucked up by some twenty-two-year-old Silicon Valley VC-backed <laughs> yeah, right. idiot, you know, it's it's not being put towards other productive uses that 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 has the potential to enrich. The yeah. lives of, of more people you know yeah. so so for a time a bunch of a very small group of people make a huge amount of money mm. and really just just make a mess of things longer term right it's like the cat in the hat a little bit <laughs> you know hey this is so much fun this is brilliant it's like except except at the end of the book where the cat in the hat comes back and like cleans everything up and then tips his yeah. hat and goes out the door they just they just leave you know like the fish bowls on the <laughs> yeah, floor yeah, the yeah. cakes on the curtains and it's just sort of like 
<laughs> Hang on, this is this is not this is not right. So so you you need that you need you need that cleansing. Um, mm. It's just it, what sucks about it <laughs> is that it's mm. usually the people who had little to do with the creation of that circumstance mm. and that that bear the biggest uh, part of the brunt. I mean. We, I always remember that, that Steve Carell line at the end of The Big Short, you know, and one of the other characters says, oh, what happens now? And he goes, oh, same thing as always, you know. We, we, <laughs> we, we, we blame the immigrants and the poor carry the can or something like that, you know, and it, it, it's, that's the depressing part in it. It, would, it. There is no justice. It would yeah. be if, like, all of the people, <laughs> like, there'll be people who did create a lot of this misery, whatever, um, misallocated capital, and, and even though they may suffer you sort of sort of see the Sam Bankman freeds who go to jail mm. and the rest of it. Plenty of other people are just fine. You never never in the paper. Yeah, the business collapsed around them and all this stuff happened, but I've still got the majority of the money that I extracted during during the good times. And um yeah. But but we we, we need to do it. Um uh, uh it is Charlie Munger says, you know, um capitalism without uh, failure is like um, Christianity without hell. <laughs> you need it, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, it yeah. just kind of keeps us a little bit more on on the straight and narrow. So, yeah, that's trying to put a silver lining on what will otherwise be a, a terrible experience. I will yep. say this for those listening at home, just to personalize it. Again, while you can't predict or know exactly how everything's going to, to unfold, you can, and I know we've made this point a lot recently, but it bears repeating, which is you can make your own circumstances as anti-fragile as possible. You know, don't, don't be the person who's up to the eyeballs in, in debt and has less than a week of savings to live on. Or, you know, do, do, whatever your circumstance, you can make sure that if and when something more broadly negative happens with, with the economy, that you're not the person who is wiped out. Um, Correct. That's, that's the best you can do. In fact, you're positioning yourself in that conservative way is hard mm -hmm. when everyone else is making out like bandits during, <laughs> exactly. during the good times. Exactly. But when the bad times come, it's not only do you survive intact, um, but you're actually the one who can be opportunistic you know, um, whereas others have no choice and they are all forced sellers and things, things can go very, very badly for them. And they'll cry and kick and scream and blame everyone else and point the fingers at governments and institutions, you know, you know, but, but don't be that person is what I'm, is what I'm saying. I, and I and it's that, hard. Man. It's hard. It is hard to do because we have, this has been a very, very long period of, of ebullience and right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's like the idiot who said, no, I am, I am not going to take on a mountain of debt. No, I am not going to stretch myself. It's actually been punished so far. Yeah. And that, that is a very, that is a very bitter pill to swallow. Uh, as long as you remember that it's uh, I think, well, firstly, firstly, uh, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, you know, the, the, you know, looking at someone and saying, well, I could have had that. I could have had that. It's just a stupid way to live and mm. easy for me to say hard for everyone, including me to do. Um, that's the reality. It's the reason I don't look at expensive houses on, you know, realestate.com or whatever. It's like, you just, you know, I, sure I could, I could spend my life thinking about the stuff I could have and how someone else has got it better or done better or been luckier or whatever. Um, second thing, I think it's, you know, remember, depending on your age, remember your grandparents, or your great grandparents, right? The, the so-called silent generation, the boomers parents, mm. um, you know, they went through wars and Great Depressions and they had shaped the way they lived. And, you know, hard, their hard times was, make for hard people. Right. right. Does, but, you know, and, and I think, but I think the thing is there, it's just a case of, it's not that they were miserable, it's just that they kind of went, well, I've seen what can go wrong. I've seen what can happen. And so I'm not going to, I'm going to create a life 
that doesn't rely on the circumstances being perfect. Mm. And so I, I'm covered. If something goes wrong, I've got savings. If something goes wrong, I haven't got too much debt. If something goes wrong, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've, I've prepared for. And I think, you know, one of my, one of my as much as I'm, I'm a massive optimist, mate, as you know, um, but I'm still a prepare for the worst, hope for the best kind of guy at the same time. I think those aren't, those are not inco- incompatible, right? Mm. There are some people who say, well, you've got to be a pessimist to prepare for the worst because you, know, you expect the worst all the time. I'm not expecting it. I'm preparing for it. This is the mm. difference. We started by talking about the economy and where it's at. You're just in preparing and predicting, you know? Yes. Predicting yes. the worst is one thing. I'm not predicting the worst at all. I think I think we, I you know, despite some of your comments earlier, mate, I, I'm still much more optimistic than you are. I think long term. Speaking of you know that sort of stuff, you know, may, maybe the housing market's overvalued. Maybe there's too much debt. Yeah, but you know, in 1928, maybe there was a Great Depression around the corner. In 1938, maybe there was a World War around the corner. I mean, in in relative terms, yeah, I'd rather be us than them. You know, despite our problems, and so mm. I can't help but be positive and optimistic not because i think every day every week every year every half decade is going to be is going to be perfect or even good i mean there'll be some crappy years ahead just because there will be right whether they're for the reasons you highlighted mate or things that are completely different to that there will be hard times because things happen people move in th- things move in cycles and man which went through a covid pandemic who in 2019 was saying what we should prepare for is in six months time you know it stuff happens right mm. um by the way, that's the other thing that I'm, I've said this before. I am speaking, going from optimistic to, to, I don't know what you call it, not pessimistic, just frankly peed off. Um, the thing we should have learned from COVID, your people, governments, companies, bureaucracies, politicians, actually, why don't we prepare for a bit more than maybe the best case? Uh, we should have, we sh- the, the one lesson I tweeted about this, and of course no one listens and you know whatever, that's fine. Not that I expect people to. Jim Harmers and hang off my every word, turns out. Um, we should have worked. There's a headline for you. Man on Twitter <laughs> solves exactly. world problems. Yes. And, and is annoyed that the treasurer isn't paying you attention. Why isn't um, anyone listening to me? Just preparing for redundancy. Having yeah. redundancy just in case. What's yeah. plan B? There is no plan B for too much of our society. So I'm an optimist. We'll get through. I hope that we're, on this podcast, your comments and mine and others, hopefully are helping some people say, you know what, maybe I'll have a bit of a larger rainy day account. Maybe I won't take on that margin debt. Maybe I'll buy a house that's cheaper than the one I could technically reach for if I wanted to because it gives me a bit more, you know, uh, spare dry powder. Not only opportunistically, which is, by the way, great to get take advantage of bargains if you get them, just so that you know that you know that you know. I hope to never use my rainy day account. Mm. And if I'm 75 or 80, if I'm 95 and on my deathbed, I'll be going, oh man, that was a waste of money having that, that rainy day account, wasn't it? Gee, I could have earned a little bit more money than that. As opposed to being that age and saying, you know what, that rainy day account wasn't quite big enough and I had a really crappy three or four years and my family was pretty unhappy. And yeah. I just, it, I, it, maximizing the upside is not the goal you should be aiming for. It's just not. Yeah. Because yeah. it means you're, you're meant to be any fragile. It, 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 just, it just makes your entire life fragile by definition. And the more you try and maximize that upside or maximize for that upside, you are, you are willingly or unwilling, wittingly or unwittingly, taking on much, much, much more fragility and saying the circumstances that I require to come out of this okay have to be perfect. Mm. The, 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 less, the less you allow for a plan B, the more perfect the circumstances need to be. And frankly, the, the more risk you're taking on, it's just, it's just not worth it. It's just a stupid way to live and it's a stupid way to invest. It is. Go on, give me a butt. Um, no, it's, it's, but I guess you, you've got to ask why is it that way? Why yeah, can we right. have this lesson and, and not learn from it? And I would yeah. argue mm. that it's a question of incentives. It's what they economists mm. call the moral hazard. So I'm a big international global mm. um, transport company 
And maybe I look at things and go, gosh, we should have some more redundancy in here because uh, that would make a lot of sense. But it's just like, well, none of my competitors are, right? So it means I'm less efficient, which I'm less profitable, which therefore less competitive, which means I therefore lose market share to those that do. And you think, well, okay, so I will. I'll just go, we'll all do it. We'll all just you know, keep keep everything super tight, super optimized, super lean, zero fat, you know, in there. And if anything goes wrong, well, we all go wrong. No one points the finger at me and we'll probably get bailed out in some way, shape or form. Uh, I, I suspect that's I, – I would imagine that if you get all the major bank executives in the country together and say, hey, any of you particularly worried about the state of your balance sheet and the exposure that you have to a particular single asset class here? And like, oh, yeah, we're all, we're all terrified and we have been for a while – but what are you going to do, right? I'm not ceding market share to Westpac. You know, I'm not going to let ANZ eat, eat some of my lunch. And anyway, I get my bonus. And mm-hmm. what, 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 but let's play this through. What, what happens if, if there is some kind of um, uh, nasty uh, outcome there? It's like, well, I, I still get my base salary. I might lose a little bit of my bonus and the government will bail us all out. So, yep. Now, you're telling me that I should have more appropriate buffers, better capital adequacy ratios, stronger, more diversified balance sheet. Yeah, I hear you. But if I do that, I lose to my competitors hmm. and and I get fired and I get replaced by someone who is prepared to do what is necessary. So I, I think I think the game theory lens here is is the telling one. Hmm. And it it is I, I think we have after really going back to the turn of the century, the lesson that the corporate world has learned is if you're big enough, you'll be okay no matter what, right? Like you, you, you will always be able to go up to the, you know, the government of the day and sort of say, listen, if you don't help us out, a lot of people are going to be unemployed. Mm. You know, look at Qantas, right? Look at Jerry Harvey. Look at mm. <laughs> you know companies that just like they know they know which way the wind blows, um, and and they they are. In, in a really Machiavellian way, would be stupid to play it any other way. Like you've, you've almost got to, you've almost got to admire it. <laughs> so I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say I agree with you in a lot of that, but I also think it's slightly too jaundiced. Oh, it's pretty jaundiced. Yeah. Now the government and Jerry and Qantas can kind of play that game, and and we can criticise and argue about who did what and who what was right and what wasn't. I think that's absolutely true. Mate. I really, really do. Um, but I also think the incentive, I think you need to be careful about, not you, but incentives apply at different levels. I think, frankly, the executives are going to do really nicely on that one. It's worth saying the quantum share price today is back where it was in 2006. Um, the banks for all of the government support and whatever, most bank share price are lower than they were five years ago. Um, now, they could have been lower in the counterfactual and blah, blah, blah. I just think, I think well, it's worth Well, that would be my just, argument. That would be my very right. strong argument. Yeah. But I, think my, but I think my point broadly is, you know, whether there's whether there's whether there's obvious winners from that sort of stuff, uh, where there's some sort of clear, you know, here's what I managed to get out of it. I, I, I you know, made out like a bandit at the hands of government. I, I, I think, well, our listeners will know you're very much more. Uh, I don't, I don't want to use labels because labels kind of feel like they suck about either of us, right? I, I was going to say you're kind of thinking through the the, the the ideal structures or the ideal implications of these things. I'm much more a pragmatic kind of, you know, start from the outcomes and work backwards. And neither is right or wrong. Mm. Um, but I, but I would I would say in that context, I'm not entirely sure that. I think moral hazard is real. I think I think governments. Uh, I'm, I'm more worried about the governments, frankly, acting badly on behalf of 
vote buying rather than companies that may or may not, you know, get a couple of extra dollars here or there. I just, I don't think it's, it, it offends your sense of right and wrong far mm. more than it worries my sense of, you know, does it, does it make a meaningful difference to the economy or to the society at large? Is Australia that much worse off because we bail out Qantas? I'm, I, don't get me wrong, I've, I've tweeted long and hard about the Qantas bailouts and stuff. Um, is it annoying? Is it wrong? Is it kind of offend my sense of right and wrong? Yeah, kind of to some degree. If I so so, I, I, they're separate things. I agree with you entirely. By the way, on almost everything you said, except that I'm not sure it matters as much as you maybe think it does, or maybe you don't. We're just t- talking about the idea. Mm. Um, but in overall, the overall scheme of things, my much bigger concern is the structure of the economy as dictated by governments. I'm thinking about debt here, for example, or mm. budget management. The stuff that's the really, really big picture stuff mm. that worries me personally far more than whether Qantas got a couple of extra bucks or Jerry got a couple of extra bucks. I should say I'm a, I'm a Harvey Norman shareholder. I don't think I was during COVID, but I might have been. So maybe I benefited somehow. So take your grain of salt with that, wherever you mm. want to. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, just, just just for what it's worth, I think just I kind of just put that on the on the table. Uh, not not that you're wrong in any way, shape, or form. I, I do. I guess I'm just not as exercised by it in terms of how worried I am about the outcomes on much more than just a you know those bastards got away with it. Yeah, they did. Well, that's not fair. No, it's not. Uh, do I care all that much in the, in the scope of things? You know, if I had a magic wand, would I change it? Yeah. I don't really think it's a bigger deal, I guess, I suppose that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, we can agree to disagree. <laughs> we can. We can. <laughs> hey, let's move on then because uh, superannuation, uh, at least as we record this on the 21st of December, some numbers out from Chant West, who uh, are a mob who get the name of the paper every six or 12 months by talking about superannuation returns. And I'm not sure what else they do, actually. Uh, that's probably what they do. Uh, have put some numbers out. So the average super fund is likely to gain around 8.8%. Now, this is, you know, what's that average? Again, average with an asterisk. Everyone's different, blah, blah, blah. About 8.8% this year, roughly equaling or offsetting the decline last year of a similar amount. I think last year might have been down nine, I think, from memory. Mm-hmm. Thanks largely to a booming US stock market, the growth of tech, and unfortunately for Andrew, the recovery in some property prices. Sorry, dude. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's... it's I, and I, I don't know, I, you know, I think if you're a casual listener to this, if you're listening, you're an ETF investor or you, you're whatever, you're not buying individual stocks. I guess the, um, I guess my, my thought just straight out, mate, is, you know, it's a reminder of for all of the money lost in 2022 and the headlines and the other super was supposed to make money and, oh my God, I'm losing money. The recovery this year is kind of the point, right? That, that That's not that it was going to ever happen in exactly a year or it's a nice symmetrical number. It could have taken five years, it could have taken six months, it could have taken two months. Um but it's, it's, I think it's worth, for, for anyone listening who's got a casual interest in finance or they're super or wondering, you know, what's in it for me or what does it mean for me? I just think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's something worth remembering because like we just talked about through most of the, the pod so far, easy to focus on some of the negatives because they stand out. Chance of recession or, you know, government largesse or moral hazard. Those are all real things and real things to be addressed. Um, but also in that context, and we talked about the fact that the market tends to front run the economy, the super numbers actually might be the best evidence, the best general evidence uh, for all of us with superannuation of kind of what's been happening recently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, on one hand, it's just like really unremarkable because what do you expect? It's You're going to yeah. have the occasional bad year, some good years, probably yeah, going to average about what the average right, has yes. been, yeah. you know, what is it? The stat is usually something like, mm-hmm. uh, on average, the market is up two out of every three years. Yeah. So yeah. It, it feels feels about right. Feels about yep. right. Yep. Um, the which is kind of worth saying, right? Because while it is unremarkable, it's remarkable because people don't realize it's unremarkable. Yes, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. 
The other thing, just to be my jaundiced self again. Oh, is, come on. Is, it's almost uh, Christmas. <laughs> well, yeah, I should have introduced you as Andrew Bar Humbug page now. <laughs> yeah, gonna, if, I was, if I was actually good enough and interested enough and dedicated enough, I'd re-record the intro, but I won't. Ebenezer page here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, there, there has been really um, striking, uh, what are they, what's the term? Cost of living pressures. Cosy uh, lives. Cost of, cost of lives. Yeah, Cosy lives was the word. Cosy lives, I oh, right, right. Cosy lives. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, uh, the purchasing power of our money has eroded substantially mm-hmm. to, the, to the extent where, uh, you know, $100 uh, will buy you um, what 100 and, sorry, let me get this right. So what you could have bought for uh, $85 three years ago, now you have to spend $100 on. Yep. So a lot of these gains, they're, they are, they are, nominal and they're not yeah. real so that and again that's not, yeah. i don't want to rain on that parade but we have yes, in, in a in a period Andrew where we had black little rain cloud <laughs> well we had this really long period of like just yeah. inflation yeah. wasn't a thing and then when you had some good years in the market then that was just much more it was much more real than i don't mean that in the uh it's the casual meaning of the word and the definite like the uh, economist sort of meaning of of the word <laughs> right. they're very real kind of growth and and now it is it is less so um i think so just just to put that out there i did mm-hmm. notice too in the um uh in the fin they were comparing the pair and they had the retail super. It was said, compare the pair. Retail super closes the fee gap. The performance gap between industry and retail super funds is narrowing, raising the prospect of a fight back for a bo- by for-profit super after the savaging wrought by the Banking Royal Commission. Mm-hmm. And, you know, already I'm rolling my eyes. And it's sort of like, so the back, the back story here is that industry superannuation has thumped retail superannuation for forever. And is it because those running industry super funds are much, much better money uh, managers? No, they just don't charge as much. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Oh, can I say, mate, I, I, I love the dedication that the fans of for-profit super, and usually there's two groups of these. They're the ones who work for those companies. And they're the ones who hate the union movement so much they'd actually rather make less money just so they can hate the union movement, which I don't care about your views on the union movement. Uh, I I think, well, for what it's worth, I think unions have been useful. I think they are useful. Um, they overreach, as do employers and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but those who say, yeah, bloody unions, I'm just lining the union's pockets, I'm not going to get that. It's like, you are literally going to cost yourself tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars just so you can hate. You're not gonna, you don't think going to make any change. You're literally not changing a thing, you're just hating on the union movement, which is, knock yourself out if that's what you're going to do. Um, I find that yeah. just astonishingly. When they, when they say to me, oh, Oh, yeah, well, the uh, industry super is only better because in their balance funds, they put these unlisted assets, they're overpriced and whatever, whatever. And I said, well, yeah, maybe, but the fees are just different. To, to, to believe that in their world, for, for their, and if, you, if you're one of those people listening, thank you, good, Merry Christmas, and um, you can turn off now. Um, the, uh, when, when, you, when, you, when you try to believe that A, you're charging more in fees, but the only reason you're losing to industry funds is because industry funds have unlisted assets that are overvalued. In other words, your belief is that retail funds as a group are somehow mystically capable of achieving better returns than industry funds. Just, just for somehow all of a sudden, this large group of people and large group of funds, the average in retail would be higher than it would otherwise be despite the fees, except there's unlisted funds. Yeah. I just think that amount of magical thinking is really, really, really impressive. <laughs> 
because <laughs> it's just hard to prove. I mean, it's not, it's not provable. You, it's, it's, it, defies, it defies any sort of mathematical consideration that even with your higher fees, you are such better money managers as a group. You happen to somehow magically, all those different funds have attracted all the best money managers and all the worst money managers happen to be in industry funds. And so the only possible way industry funds can be better is because they treat their assets differently. Just, just think that through. In fact, by the way, if I'm, if I'm talking esoterically and you don't get it, just trust me and move on. But it, it's just, there's some really fun magical thinking in there that is, uh, makes my head spin. I, I do find it funny that it, it seems to imply that the for-profit industry was unable to invest in the unlisted asset class, which is like- <laughs> There's that too. Well, no, they can invest there. Yeah, but, yeah, but they didn't. And that's why they underperformed. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in, wait a sec, in the paragraph before, like literally the paragraph before that, you say that um, in the year to October 31, so all of a sudden we're going to take a one-year measure as to, to mean anything yeah, here. Yeah. Um, the retail MySuper index compiled by Rainmaker outperformed the not-for-profit MySuper index 4.7% versus 4.5. So a 0.2% outperformance. And they said the small outperformance by retail funds was mainly due to their higher allocation to shares, which have rallied in the later part of the year. So in other words, they've done better. It's only over a year period, but they've done better. Uh, they've completely underperformed over 10 years. Well, they underperformed under 10 years because the for-profit didn't invest in this sector. You know, that's you should really, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Oh, but we outperformed over 12 months because we allocated differently. But you shouldn't dismiss that. That's important that we did that. You, you can't have your cake and eat it too. With it, There's so much logical inconsistency with all of that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm look, don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. I am all for any for-profit entity. I actually think fundamentally yeah, yeah. that we, yeah. the, the very nature of our system requires- <laughs> That's right. Pro, the, the profit motive is yes, what keeps yeah. the whole, it's why- It I, works. It's, yep. yeah, it's why all of us go out and, and do stuff. We, for the, trying to sort of better our situation, we need the proper incentives to sort of do that. Mm. That's why communism doesn't work, right? Like it just, it just, it's so fundamentally important. So it's not like a hardcore lefty shaking their fist at the sky and these, ah, oh, these, they want to make profit and therefore they're bad. No, it's just sort of like I would argue as a hardcore capitalist that those that create genuine value for people deserve to have to deserve to have profit. What sticks in my craw is when you don't deliver value and you still charge ridiculous fees for it. That's the bit that's sort of like if we were having this conversation and there was a genuine value add that was demonstrable and objective, then I was like, oh, no, no, brilliant. I would I'd be here on the podcast going put all your money into for-profit retail super. That's, it is a far better option because they are clearly better at it. Mm. And these lefty unionist thugs <laughs> trying to manage, like, they're idiots. Now, they're just, there's so much data here it's on funny, this and it? you're managing such large sums of money really that it's just, yeah, it's just yeah. like, what percentage do you want to put in each of these three mm. buckets, bait or four buckets? That, that it, it's, it gets to a point where it's all a little bit um, stupid, but mm. yeah, it, the, the AFR knows who it's, knows who <laughs> its audience is right. and they cater to they yes. cater to their audience yes. right they do they do and that's you know you do what you do um yeah oh you know what though you know what i find really fascinating mate is you're probably right about the audience i wonder whether they do know their audience i mean at some point i guess they get the clicks and maybe it's controversy itself rather than pro business because i think i don't maybe there's a silent majority which again is one of those phrases that, that belongs to shock jocks and whatever but if you if you talk to almost anybody, if you listen to almost anybody, um, there are absolutely examples of the uh, of the people you speak of, and absolutely examples of others. 
But most business people, most economists, most journalists, I mean, again, I do the good oil regularly, right? Most of these people, again, there's, there's some who are absolutely on that side. I'm not saying everyone. But it, it, I'm saying I think there's a more, more of a spectrum than, than um, they might assume. Although we might assume, I think that that's almost the point, right? I don't know. If I talk to someone, hear someone, it's like I, th- I expect that person to be a certain view. I say, oh no, it's this and it's that and it's that. It's like, oh, okay, we had a good point. But you're right. I think there's more there's more middle ground uh, than maybe the headlines allow for. And maybe as you said, maybe it's the outrage clicks, and maybe it's the you know maybe it's the echo chamber clicks and whatever. Um, mm. And and the AFR is absolutely pro business, but I, I guess I'm just saying that among their readership, I, I don't think it's I don't, I don't think the readership shares the papers viewed or as much as we might otherwise assume. Yeah, uh, but maybe that's just me being um being hopeful. <laughs> Mate, um, can we talk about Chemist Warehouse for a second? Yeah, uh, we have got a question on this one coming up, but I wanted to. I, I had a, had a thought during the week, mm. and I wanted to I wanted to just kind of throw this up because there's a lot of people who are. And we've again we've, we've answered this question in an upcoming mailbag I think, or maybe it was last week. We're in a we're in a weird pre-record it's all, it's all kind mixed, of time, yeah. Yeah, exact time warp. Um, Chemist Warehouse is being backdoor listed in a Sigma. So Sigma Sigma Healthcare, I think they're called now. It used to be called Sigma Pharmaceuticals. Sigma Healthcare. Uh, the, the proposal is basically somehow the Chemist Warehouse gets eighty five percent of Sigma. The business is bigger. Um, it's worth more because you combine the two businesses together and then Sigma, whether it's renamed or not, just remains the listed entity. But if you own those shares, you get some Chemist Warehouse with it. First thing I'd say, by the way, just for anyone who's wondering is if you, own, if you buy Sigma now, you're not going to get Chemist Warehouse for free, right? You're going to get the Sigma share of what you get. And when, you, when, you, when they merge, if they do, you'll end up with a very small proportion of a very large, much larger business, which is fine. It's not bad. It's just, you're not, you're not, there's no free lunch buying Sigma just yet. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought about... Um, I was thinking about disruption, mate. I was thinking about innovation. And I think, I'll I'll just make a statement. I'll just get your thoughts. I said on Twitter that I, people are looking at Chemist Warehouse saying, I want to buy Sigma because I get Chemist Warehouse. Chemist Warehouse is a great business. They've done really, really well. And therefore, if I buy it, I'll keep doing really, really well. And again, I'm, I'm giving something away. We said in the upcoming episode that, you know, it relies on future growth, particularly the talk about going overseas and whether that can be done is an open question. Chemist Warehouse has exploited a very uncompetitive pharmacy market here. If they can find the same opportunity elsewhere, by the way, they should do it. And they should do it well. If they can't, if it doesn't exist, then that's a different thing. So if they can find the market opportunity to do what they're trying to do, uh, all power to them, and they may well do very well. I wouldn't assume, though, you can necessarily take the business model here overseas because what they've done is exploit a... Uh, an industry a sleeping industry and so you can't take that model into a competitive industry and pretend you can get the same sort of outcomes mm. not that they are necessarily not that even the listeners are assuming that i just would i would i would caution them against it yep. but here's the thing i i i'm very very bullish on e-commerce as you, as you well know this is not about <clears throat> kogan drink um <laughs> but it's about e-commerce generally it's, it's kind of why i like kogan but it's not the other way around i i fully expect decently more than half of retail sales are online in the fullness of time. There's there's zero reason to go to a shop unless you have to or want to. And those things are fine. If you have to or want to, you'll do it. If you don't have to and don't want to, why would you? Um, and think about the economies of scale of fulfillment and range. And by the way, deliveries will get quicker when the more people are doing it. Like this is a, there's this already, is a snowball, right? They're talking about one hour delivery in capital cities, right? They're already doing it in the US, right? Why are yep. they doing it? And, and, and by the way, the online penetration is higher in the UK and the US than it is here. And something like almost twice as much, I think, something like that penetration yep. of online commerce. There's a density so I, issue yes, probably, correct. but yeah. So I think I think I think we'll go. And I'm not saying we'll get to their levels, right? Well, I think we'll be much, much, much higher. So I think I, I'm massively bullish on e-commerce. And if you don't think it'll happen, uh, I'll remind you that people didn't think people would buy couches or music or beds or clothes online. And guess what? We all do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
ask my wife. Uh, so <laughs> that's uh, that. You know, that's that's. I think that'll happen. Now, why I want to take this? One of the great, one of the great, under penetrated areas of online commerce is pharmaceutical retailing. Hmm. And I'm not making a prediction here necessarily. What I am doing is painting a potential outcome and inviting people who would otherwise buy shares in Chemist Warehouse or anything else to remember this is possible before you assume that the industry dynamic, that, that everything has been done, that this is the final state. There are, and by the way, people have said to me, well, these things already exist. They absolutely do. Um, uh, by the way, uh, Love Film existed before, before Netflix and Quick Flix existed before Netflix. And, you know, uh, just because things existed already doesn't mean they are the final state. So I guess wanted, I wanted to, to make the point that if you think about pharmaceutical retailing, particularly prescriptions, there is zero reason why you should need, I'm going to offend a whole lot of people, a pharmacy, not necessarily a pharmacist, but a pharmacy as the distribution point for your medications. There is no, now you can, same as you can use a supermarket, perfectly reasonable. And then there's people who buy stuff online. Why? Because you can do it easily. Now think about a world in which your doctor says, thanks, Scott, um, here's your prescription for uh, something. I was going to make some jokes. I'm going to ignore, I'm going to avoid all of those just for the <laughs> interest of good taste. Uh, here's your prescription. Um, and now the doctor says, here it is on paper. Uh, go and do your thing with it. Cool. Imagine a world where the doctor says, uh, oh, Scott, it says on your, uh, your Medicare record or your patient record or your practice record, whatever it is, uh, you're, you're, a, you're a member of uh, a new thing that West Farmers have bought called Instant Scripts. Would you like me to press this button and have it delivered to your home using your preferred payment met- network? It'll be there by four o'clock this afternoon. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks, Doc. Done. <laughs> or the doctor says, uh, I've uploaded your prescription. It's available on your Medicare um, patient record. Log on to MyGov and you can press a button and send your order to one of four local pharmacies who will deliver it for you. Good, by the thanks, way, done. by the way, the doctor might be saying this over a, a you know a Zoom like uh, right screen. That's the other yeah. thing. So yeah. you're already you're already at home because you're crook, having the medication dropped off by that afternoon. If you need something straight away, of course you're going to go to a chemist. I'm not people people love the binary of this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, light. it won't work. It won't work yeah. if I need to buy get drugs now. No, of course it won't. That's what the chemists are for. Yeah. Same, same as you know, oh, people won't buy for Amazon. Have it delivered in five days. of on it now. No, they won't. They'll get a big W or Woolworths. Or, mm-hmm. but if they're happy to wait five days, they'll get it from Amazon or where I own Amazon shares or wherever mm-hmm. else. Right. So I'm not saying it'll happen for everyone. I'm not saying it'll happen tomorrow. I'm just saying to imagine there is a world in which we don't find a better way to make it easier for patients to order and get access to their medications. Now think about repeats, where the doctor says, "Here's your medication. Here's five repeats. Go to the chemist every month and get more." Why would you not log on to something like Instant Scripts or something else to say, can you please deliver it on the, what's that, the 21st? Deliver it tomorrow, please. And then every month for the next five. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Locked mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just turns up. I, I, it, it just, it boggles my mind for people to try to believe that the current cumbersome way of driving from the doctor's surgery, as you said, mate, it's probably online anyway, so driving from home to the surgery, mm. to the pharmacy, putting the script over the counter, waiting to get it back, getting the thing back, taking your repeats home with you, driving back another month's time, getting another having, one. Having that awkward, like, you know, <laughs> trying to avoid <laughs> eye contact <laughs> with the pharmacist <laughs> for this super embarrassing medication. Really? Where they do the price check on, really? you know. Really? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I've, I've heard, learned, I've heard, I've heard. We just learned something. Uh, no, I just, anyway, I'm not saying it'll happen for everybody. I'm just saying to believe that there's no disruption coming. Now, the only people say, well, well, Chemist Warehouse might win that. They might, and they should, frankly, because they're massive and they're dominant, so they should. But 
who's going to... So I'm, I'm an Amazon shareholder, right? I'm massively... I'm not saying it'll be Amazon, but, but there's this scenario where they say, hang on, Chemist Warehouse has X hundred stores across the country. It makes them local, makes them easier, makes it fast, but they don't have scale and they don't have speed and they're not also delivering a box of kitty litter and a, 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 you know, a bag or something in a stereo next door. Mm. So, you know, whoever it is, it could be DHL because they're going to most houses around the country or whatever else it is. I don't know who wins this and it probably... Frankly, it's Chemist Warehouse's opportunity to lose because they've got that spread already. Yep. But if you think about what pharmaceutical distribution needs to be, yes, pharmacists provide healthcare advice and there'll be so many people yelling at me right now. Um, Yes, they help out. Yes, they answer questions about drugs. Yes, they give whatever. I get all that stuff. I'm just simply saying, yes, Chemist Warehouse has done a wonderful job to get to this point. Just Mm -hmm. don't assume, A, their growth can continue forever or B, there is not potential disruption coming just as it has for other parts of the retail landscape. Yeah, there are regulatory barriers. The Pharmacy Guild, uh, speaking of unions, if you hate unions, uh, have a look at the Pharmacy Guild just quietly. I'm not saying you should hate them. I'm just saying they are remarkably powerful. And uh, guild, a guild was something that kind of, you know, in the old days kept other people out and kind of kept, it's, it's perfectly named just quietly. Mm, yes. Um, anyway, maybe regulations never change. Maybe governments get scared. There's a whole thing that could happen. I'm not making any predictions. I'm just saying, if you're thinking about Chemist Warehouse, be mindful. Be mindful of what could be coming down the pike. This is an older thing now, but there, do you remember how for all, for the longest time the supermarkets, Coles and Woolies predominantly, were really mm. lobbying to allow pharmaceuticals yes. to be sold, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah. And you kind of think, well, actually, that'd be handy. I've got to go pick up some bread I, and milk right? anyway. Can I, <laughs> can I grab my scripts yeah. while I'm there? Yeah. And- uh, you know, some very yep. powerful uh, lobbyists prevented that mm-hmm. from sort of. No, whether they, I don't even know that was a bad thing. I don't know if yeah, these yeah. players needed even more concentration of power. <laughs> That's what true too, so yeah. there's that. I do know a bit about instant scripts because Baylador, right. who I've got shares in, um, is a, basically a private equity company. It's listed mm. on the ASX. They they mm. in, they were one of the early investors in it. All oh, right. But, yeah, they they got an internal rate of return of sixty two percent on that oh. investment. Yeah, they. They, um, they, yeah. Anyway, so I, it was, it was incredible. I, I really like Baylor. Anyway, they, they've, they've, um, uh, they saw it early, right? And they, I think they invested in multiple rounds there. Mm. And it, I'm, I'm, I have this lesson fairly regularly, but it still mm. surprises me. It feels having been someone who grew up through the rise of the internet, the rise of smartphones, <laughs> yeah. and now, you know, on the cusp of 2024, um, that the internet is, okay, tick, we've done that. Mm. But I'm I'm still reminded of how incredibly early we are. And oh, it's, yeah. it's kind and of like- kids, we, we've grown up with it. Our kids have not known anything other than it. I mean, this uh, is, yeah. you know- Oh, they feel like, when I say, you know, I, was talking about, I was thinking about the video store experience. And I was like, oh, <laughs> your mum and I used to on a Friday night, you know, we'd go and we'd- <laughs> pick up our pizza and we go and pick, pick out a movie and then we'd have to rewind the tape and we'd have to drop it back and like looking at us as if like we were carving a, a story in a stone tablet or something but it's new and and yep. it's but the thing is it's kind of like i we i feel as though we think okay this is the internet and what yeah. we would i have extraordinarily high conviction that we look back in even 10 years time and go yeah, oh correct. my gosh that yep. we was like 2023 was just like you could only you couldn't do that online at that point, yeah, you know. Hundred percent. Looking at some of the stuff that Meta is doing, which I've been pretty bearish on to a point, mm. but some of that tech is Meta being Facebook to business. Yeah, the but they're all about the metaverse now. It's kind of it's pretty negative on that, and I don't know if they will be <laughs> successful at it. But mm. it shows you what yeah. is able to capable of being built on top of of this infrastructure we call the internet. It's just like wow, it's fascinating. And my point being is is that 
we're only you and I who have been talking about this stuff for gosh, a decade or more. It's like mm-hmm. We're only now talking about scripts being delivered. <laughs> that's right. I know that's like, the that's, that's my point. It's like this is this yeah. is the and by the way, I was running Motley Hidden Gems years and years and years ago, and we invested in a business that was trying to do something like this, and it just went broke right. and it was terrible. And it was just too early because the, the market wasn't ready to make the shift. Yep. But in the meantime, mobile phones, smartphones, connected devices, uh, frankly, patient national patient records via Medicare. Every time we get closer and closer and closer to joining this stuff up. Yep. Honestly, if my doctor said tomorrow, "Hey, I've just I've just connected this thing. Would you like me to do that?" I was like, "Oh, thank God! Please do that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, please do that thing." You know, yep. I haven't used instant scripts yet. And the, the hurdle, the biggest hurdle, frankly, for the biggest benefit for the pharmacies is most of us don't go to the doctor that frequently and get drugs that often. Yep. But if you're someone who's on, a, on you've got a chronic condition, you're having the same medication either for the rest of your life, or so imagine cholesterol-lowering drugs or mm-hmm. um, treatments, or right? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's it. Like it's that idea of. Actually, if you can make my life easier, I can do. A, I can do a teleconference with you, fifteen minutes, half an hour, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Go through my issues. You can issue me another repeat for another six months, and I can upload that directly. You can do it for me, or I can do it for myself, or some mm-hmm. other way. It's like, oh, good, tick that box. Good, that's done. Move on. Yep. Another, another thing. Rather than get the script, go to the chemist, use the mobile phone, do whatever. It's just yep. maybe it never happens because maybe it's just there's too many obstacles, regulatory and, and behavioural. But to imagine it won't. I just, I just think if you're framing a market. Maybe this is the exception that proves the rule, but I don't know. It's probably not. So the the classic story here is with uh, you know the Kodak story of inventing the digital camera, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, and then not wanting yeah. to do it because it would disrupt <laughs> their business. <laughs> That's right. And the other example being Amazon, who sold yes. books and realised that that books are, are going to lose share and, and yep. like disrupted their own business. That's and my favourite example, by the it's way. Great, yeah. right? It's yeah. real and, and very, very. We always use that example because I, I don't think we can think of too many other examples mm-hmm. where companies mm-hmm. see the future, recognise yeah. that it undermines their their. Um, business model and disrupts themselves because they it, it's not a it's not something any business wants to do but the reality yeah. is and the Bezos saw this like well whether someone's going to disrupt it so mm-hmm. I guess we do it right and then and that that was a probably a painful and expensive adjustment to make but we saw how that worked out mm-hmm. now can I give now, Qantas a wrap actually on that one just quickly yeah. I think Qantas launching as much as Qantas is, you know as a corporate citizen has had its hits and losses Qantas creating Jetstar Literally break a whole second brand at a cheaper price. Yeah. There have been so many people inside corner saying, but hang on, we sell tickets for $400 each. You're yeah. going to sell a Jetstar for $250. That's mm-hmm. going to cost us money. Why would, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? It's going to, you know, and, and the foresight of it probably was Joyce or it might have been the CEO before him um, to kind of go, no, no, we need to be playing at this part of the market mm. and, and adding it. Yes, yes, some of our customers will absolutely trade down for Qantas Jetstar for sure. Yep. We will take more share from elsewhere and a net net overall, it's worth it. Yep. Those, those things, they're gutsy, smart, really super thoughtful calls i had someone on twitter the other day talking about oh we're talking about working from home and and he's kind of saying you know he was making the point that you know companies how can they be so stupid as to as to not realize whatever it was and it wasn't it was about working from home it doesn't need to be in this case i was kind of like my response was because there are people working for mm-hmm. those companies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're all as fallible and we have our psychological biases and prejudices and assumptions and and first order thinking and and a lack of experience and that kind of stuff these are not easy decisions so i just wanted to Again, not that I owe Qantas anything, but give him a rap because that, you know, creating Jetstar was a gutsy, gutsy call for a whole lot of people internally who would have said, but think about our margins, think about our yields, think about our revenue per seat mile. That's crazy stuff. Mm. And it worked really, really well. And yes. And, and, and so where I'm going with it is like, so when API bought Instascripts, um, mm. $135 million they paid. Oh, yeah. It, it really 
completed the picture there because I don't want to make light of this because having built software, I know how hard it is. <laughs> uh, it's hard, but it, it's sort of like you can have the coolest, most streamlined app, but if you don't have the warehousing and distribution, if you don't have the regulatory green light, if you don't have the branding and the reach and all of that, it's kind of going to be a very, not impossible, but just a much, much harder road. So with API buying that, it's just sort of like, well, we can leverage our massive warehouses and our buying power and all that. So if I was Chemist Warehouse or Sigma, I would be absolutely doing this because it's gonna, ha it is happening. It's happening right now. And, mm. and you can either be a part of it or you can just watch it, you know, sail past you. And, yeah, exactly. and you, you, this is, this is, I mean, I would imagine if you could go back to the traditional newspaper companies, um, <laughs> I forget the names now. PBL and uh, oh god, yeah, that's right. Publishing and broadcasting. Limited. Publishing yep. and broadcasting. Yeah, the packer, the packer business. Yeah, uh, News Corp, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, well, News Corp credit where it's due, and Lord knows they don't deserve much credit <laughs> in a whole range of things, which I won't get started on. Thank you. But they're the biggest investors in REA.com. Yeah, that's right. And and they they absolutely the internet completely disintermediated their their mm -hmm. their revenue models the classified that's true. Just, yes, you know yes, yes. but but uh, wow and that's been the best performing stock mm -hmm. on the ASX mm -hmm. in 30 years i think it's yeah. just it actually it beats amazon in terms of total return since that's right did too yes that's i think right. you told me that i was just like that's really right. I, I know someone, it. it was one of my team actually i'm not in my number i think it was I can't remember i don't want to give I can't remember who it was someone in the multiple team basically said to me have you seen this i was like no way it's yeah. incredible but but genius, genius. Yeah. Yes. yes, exactly. Right? You know, yeah. if I was a bank, I would be investing in a certain technology <laughs> right now. You know, if I, well, let's not go there. But if I, I would, <laughs> I would, I, there are, there are, there are um, inevitabilities as much yeah. as there can be an inevitability. And I think yeah. anyone who bets on the internet, not in the internet, not becoming a bigger right. thing that penetrates more and more is, is like, naive in the extreme if, if your assumption is my investment case can't be disrupted by the internet yeah that is a low probability bet you might be right one out of x one out of 10 times one out of 20 times or something but yep. it's a super low probability bet to say if the internet did be a thing i'd be killed yes. so i'm gonna bet it's not gonna happen yes that, that that's a oh, i don't want i don't mean to people that's about as silly as an investment thesis i think it's oh it's it, it's insane and, and and actually you know i've had a few conversations like this lately where because i'm a bit i'm a bit obsessed with ai at the moment and um, so I'll talk about it with anyone who'll listen. Mm. And the conversation usually goes, you know, like, wow, have you seen this latest model? It can do this and that, and that it's going to be able to sort of like disrupt a lot of jobs. And, and the person will go, yeah, it's amazing. Although I think my job's safe though, because, <laughs> because there's a certain, you know, requirement <laughs> that only my yep. special kind of genius can make. And it does, <laughs> I feel like, oh, yeah. You, yep. You're too close to it to realize, and not not necessarily that you're wrong. And obviously, there are some industries that are more immune than others. But it's sort yeah. of like the only person I can take seriously <laughs> there is maybe the hairdresser, you know, or the plumber, because <laughs> that's that's going to be hard for AI to disrupt. That's right. That's right. You know, the hey, person hey, mate, you've seen the uh, you've seen the the uh, robotic building company Fast. Oh yes, Fast, yeah, yeah, Fastbrick. Fastbrick. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I mean, but I, I, you know what? I reckon that was just another. That's another quick flex example. Yeah. Just too early. I 100% agree. Yes. That, I, that, that is a that is a robot will build houses. Very, yeah. very near term, <laughs> I think. Um, so some combination of prefabrication and assembly yeah. and, and local production, whatever, whatever combination of those is cheaper, 
Um, where are you seeing? You're seeing frames delivered to building sites. Now, you wouldn't have seen that, I don't know how many years ago, but yep. you know the, the combination of technology and scale and capability and yep. prices coming down, frankly, um, you know the, the, the number of places we're finding opportunities for robots, computers, machines, whatever, whatever combination of that to be faster, cheaper, easier, more flexible, 24-7, yep. those, those advantages are huge. Well, it, I mean, it's it's kind of the free market doing its thing. It's like, well, yeah. I'm not going to do that. It's, there's nothing. There's nothing better than than building a brick wall with your own hands. And you know, get, mm-hmm. it's just better fidelity. It looks better. It's like, all right, cool. Um, yeah. Let's put that out into the tested in the real market, in the free yeah. market. And maybe that is true for a little while. I don't. I actually think it gets to a point where very mm-hmm. quickly there's it's indistinguishable between what the machines do and what a what a, a very skilled bricky can do. But even if there is a slight difference, someone is going to say. So this is basically almost as good and it's going to cost me half as much. Oh, well, let's be generous. Let's say it's only going to cost me 10% less. A lot of people will take that. A lot of people will take that, that kind of option up. And, and you know, it just <laughs> – that is, the, that is the, the capitalist system doing its thing. It will allocate resources to where the market says those resources are in most demand. And anything that can deliver more for less is probably going to be – in more demand than, than that which delivers less for more. And yep. it, it, it is, whether you're talking about scripts being delivered or yes. packages being delivered or robots building houses or whatever, it's sort of like that is that is the march of progress. And mm. I think we can get ha- hamstrung by trying to be too specific in our predictions in the yeah. exact outcomes and the nature of the timing and how it all unfolds. That's, that's a mugs game. It's really right. difficult yep. to get that stuff. But yep. I, 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 I do think that, um, yeah, I, I just, I just, I'm so bullish on the internet. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's insane how bullish yeah, I am yeah. on the, on the, and, really and, and, and we are just so early. I just, I can't, totally. I, I can't, uh, my, my kids, kids, when, when I have grandkids will, will just be gobsmacked. Have you looked at, have you looked at some of, there's a Wayback machine <laughs> and you can go look at old websites yeah, from the late yeah. 90s and even 2005 and 6 and whatever and it's just like they are so antiquated they are so clunky they are so mm-hmm. awful but that yep. was I because I was alive yep. then and I remember thinking wow this is so cool look uh-huh. at oh my gosh look at this and now it's like oh it's so passe and to I, think uh, that, that, that but now now yep. this is it this is we've hit the yep. plateau that's right exactly yeah, like, yeah yeah this is good nah. as it gets yeah exactly nah. exactly no, I think, I think it's true. I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to do the old man reminiscing thing, right? But I, I was at uni and the, um, some people in the, uni, in the uni computer lab, because you had to have computer labs, like the computers were. Uh, kids think about that. Um, had the, um, they were using the chat group, like the text-based file transfer protocol chat groups, right? Yep. And that was kind of, that was the internet. And there was this thing called Mosaic. It was Netscape Navigator. And it was yep. like, you could slowly bring up a picture. I was yep. like, oh my God. Now, I will say at that point, as, as always happens with these things, half the computer lab was looking up uh, adult websites they shouldn't have been because <laughs> that was, you know, I wonder if I could type in that. What if we type in that? No sense of being able to be, uh, frankly, you probably couldn't have been tracked. The technology didn't exist back then, but that's what half of them were doing. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the other half, we just hadn't got around to it yet. Yeah, yeah I hadn't realized. The, the Sydney Morning Herald, only its tech. Uh, uh, tech section was online updated once a week and that was the SMH's website the Sydney Herald's website was just Sydney Herald tech section updated once a week when the new one came out on a Thursday or whatever it was um, it, it's 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 remarkable get, to think about that sort of stuff Go get this get this I won't name names or companies but the, uh, one of the first main companies I worked for the person who managed the tech department had mm. a PA 
who part of their responsibility was to print out emails so, <laughs> so he could read them, write a response, and then she would no. type it back in. And That's it was brilliant. just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> now, it'd be like- Laughable if it was anyone in the organization. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But the head of the tech department, like, what? You know, yeah, it, it, yeah. it was. It, we are so early. <laughs> we are. It's um. Yeah. It's it's a it's a hell of a thing. Um. I was gonna say probably probably not probably good because we're over time anyway. Oh, again, over time as if there was a time limit on this sort of stuff. By the way, try and telling kids about linear television. In fact, you only watch your show at seven thirty on a Monday night. If you missed it, you missed it. Or if you had to go to the toilet, they had to do it in the ads. Um, yeah. My young boy cannot cannot fathom the idea of not being able to pause a TV show. It's just a, it's a it's a heck of a thing. Or getting <laughs> up to change the television channel. You had to get up, walk across the thing, press the button, go and sit back down again. Anyway, da- dad a had thing. a stick. <laughs> <laughs> that was our my, remote. My, my dad had kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Scott, go and, go and change the channel. There was only three channels anyway, so I it know, wasn't I like you had four. to rotate through. Ooh. Two, seven, nine, and ten. I was Ooh, yeah, la, yeah. La. yeah. We couldn't get SBS. The signal wasn't strong enough. It was this grainy thing. Every time there's Tour de France was on or something else, you could do that. That was about it. And uh, Tower 7 was dodgy on a Tuesday night, but other than that, it was, it was fine. <laughs> That's a heck of a thing. Caveman. Mate, uh, we have one more episode. And I would ask you if you could come back for it, but uh, we've already recorded that one. So I will chat to you on Sunday. We'll be back in our listeners' ears on Sunday and every week between now and, well, the holiday season until we come back and pre-record some fresh episodes. Uh, We've got a whole lot of stuff set up and ready for your listening and dancing pleasure. Uh, So as much as uh, I want to do the Christmas farewells, we're doing it tomorrow or Sunday. So uh, until Sunday, until a bit of a pre-Christmas mailbag episode, Full on. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for listening. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.